I'm Gigi Johnson, and this is Amplify Music Conversations, where we captured the voices and music panels from the Amplify Music 2021 virtual conference. Over the course of the panels, you'll hear more than 100 panelists from a wide variety of cities and countries, each working in their local communities to recover from the challenges and changes of the pandemic. You'll hear about new community models, collaborations, and ways of organizing, each recovering and transforming their own music environment. Uh, My name is Ryan Butler. I'm the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the Recording Academy. Um, Before this position, I worked on our lobbying team in Washington, D.C., and um, was very active in our lobbying for the COVID relief bill um, that really did help creators. Um, And before joining the academy, I was in higher education for 10 years at Hampton University. So this issue is really, really kind of embedded in my um, DNA, and I'm very, very happy to be here to uh, discuss it today with my colleagues. And Ryan, you're sitting in which city right now? Oh, I am in Los Angeles right now. Yes. Excellent. So we're doing a lot of geographic and time travel here. Karen, you want to introduce yourself? Karen Reese? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Karen Reese. I'm the president of Urban Community Arts Network. We are a small nonprofit in Madison, Wisconsin, which is Midwest in the USA. And we've been around for about 10 years and focus on uh, equity in our music and entertainment scene, specifically helping to get opportunities for hip hop artists and artists of color on local stages. Um, That's a genre that's almost uh, pretty systematically excluded in our area. And we're also working on a Greater Madison Music City project, which will focus on equity, but also work on building infrastructure in our local scene so that artists can get paid for what they do and what they love to do. And that's not something to take for granted in actually getting paid. Uh, that, right. That's a whole part of what we're going to talk about today. Andrea, do you want to introduce yourself and where you're sitting? Hi, everyone. My name is Andrea Magdalena. I'm currently in Los Angeles as well, although I'm originally from Romania and um, I've been going back and forth between LA and London for the past six years or so up until the pandemic kicked in last year, of course. And I am the founder of She Said So. We are a global community of women and gender minorities in the music industry. It's a passion project that I started in uh, back in 2014 in London. So um we're we're very our our community is very strong in the UK and Europe although constantly growing in the US as well and obviously our mission is to make sure that um the future of the music industry is one that is representative of all g- gender minorities and all underrepresented communities um really speaking speaking on that behalf so I'm really excited to be here joined by such a fantastic um uh, a, a series of fellow panelists thank you so much for the invite Gigi and just for context how many people are in your organization at this point we must be around 15,000 or so across the different chapters um around the world a lot of them are thank you a lot of them yeah based in Europe um where you know the music industry I feel like at least from the perspective of diversity and inclusion um, is still in its early stages, you know, of having that conversation. So doing lots of great work on the ground that will hopefully have an impact across the wider social spectrum or cultural spectrum um, within Europe. Music can really change minds. 
Great. And and uh, I was invited to speak to one of their subgroups, just subgroups in Italy and France. And I was kind of like, <laughs> wait, 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 how big is this subgroup? And it was a wonderful large group of women talking. So we, um, I'm very happy to have, have uh, met such a great organization. Dio, can you continue? Where, where are you? And what is, what's your, I was going to say, which hats are you wearing? You're wearing one now, but where are you now? My name is D.O. I represent T.O. as in Toronto, Canada. So I am a rapper. I set the Guinness Book of World Records for the world's longest freestyle rap. And when I did that, I realized that there wasn't a lot of opportunities in Canada at the time for hip hop artists and for BIPOC artists, black, indigenous people of color. So one of the things that my partner and I did is I'm a co-founder of the Northern Power Summit Music Conference. And that takes place in Toronto. This year, it took place worldwide. And we try to amplify the voices of BIPOC artists and underrepresented communities, LGBTQ2S. I also run North Star Entertainment. And um, I work to, again, amplify artists that may not always be heard. Because I remember when a kid used to record in our studio um, saying he wanted to get his music out to the world and he became Drake. <laughs> but he didn't do it from Canada. He had to go to the U.S. to do it. So I'm trying to create more opportunities for Canadian artists. This has been a year of massive disruption and coming into 2021, we're now, as we've had in some prior panels, talking about now there's suddenly an influx of funds and attention. Who's getting that money? And what are the structural challenges of uh, whose music industry is being funded as we move forward? Who would like to start with that, with that, uh, with that lob? I can jump in on that. That is a giant question. <laughs> um, I would say, <laughs> I mean, we have a really unique opportunity here in a lot of different communities to get an equity focus and to really kind of flip things on its head as, you know, we're trying to reopen, we're rebuilding. Um, a lot of people having been shut down for so long are looking for, um, you know, ways to get back on. And so, those of us who are working on, um, you know, advocating for artists who usually haven't been included in things have an opportunity to kind of, you know, step up to the front. Now, the funding structures are still set up to benefit the status quo. So people who are good at getting money are getting money. The federal guidelines, um, you know, in the U.S. are very restrictive and tend to favor established organizations who have, you know, robust accounting systems that can easily respond to the strict um, requests. And so one of the approach approaches that we're taking is, is just, you know, we've been working for several years to develop partnerships with groups like this um, who are, have the access and, you know, really just working hard to try to get people to understand what equity and access means. A lot of times people, um, you know, white establishment status quo who are receiving these funds don't understand what it means to share power and access. And so that's definitely not an easy conversation to have, but we've got time and space to do it right now. So um, that's kind of the approach that we're taking is is really helping to get people on board and just elbowing our, our way in to um, the front line as as we reopen things. And I will uh, definitely plus one everything that uh, Karen said. Um, I will say that for me and from a DEI practitioner standpoint, disruption does create opportunities and chaos is the fuel for evolution. And so I think that with the pandemic, we have both, you know, disruption and chaos happening at the same time, which feels horrible as we're living through it. 
Um, but I think on the other side of it, um, for those who are really focused on equitable outcomes for all, um, that we have room to make space. And I know that when we talk about making space, a lot of people are fearful about losing space, but I think about it more like a suitcase that wasn't packed correctly, that was overstuffed. And now we have the chance to go in and roll everything up and put everything in a nice, and now there's just more space in the suitcase. And it doesn't mean that the things that were in the suitcase have to leave the suitcase. It just means that if we line everything up right and we're all aligned and, and focus on the same things that we can make more space. And so I think that at the end, there will be more space. I do agree that there are organizations, the, the typical heritage, large corporations are still the ones receiving most of the funding. But I think internally, um, those organizations are thinking differently, are under a spotlight that they haven't been under before and have to shepherd that money in a different way than they have before. And there are too many external organizations that are holding them accountable um, for it. And I'm not saying that it will be perfect. DEI is a, is, a messy, is, a, is a messy job and a messy practice, and it's not always right, and you're not always going to get it right or and it won't be perfect. But I do believe we are moving the needle in the right direction. Even at the Recording Academy, we're having Transcendent Sounds for the second time this year, which I mean, for the second time, which is a programming for trans artists and for the Academy. I mean, the first one happened during the pandemic. The second one is happening as we're kind of coming out of the pandemic. And for the Academy, that's what I mean about we were able to make space. It doesn't mean that other programming went away, but we had never honored, celebrated, highlighted, spotlighted trans artists before. And now, and now we can. And I, and I, and I feel really good about that type of um, type of work. To, to that, to add to what Ryan just said, and by the way, that's, that's uh, incredible to hear Ryan that there's um, this sort of, accelerated initiative within the recording academy which the way i see it the pandemic has only accelerated or exposed trends that were already kind of bubbling up within the music ecosystem but also also beyond and um you know a recognition of or a reinterpretation of um you know how we um how we establish uh, awards, for example, based on gender, that's something that's being rethought right now, not just within the Grammys, I'm sure, but even in, in the UK with the Brits, um, you know, that's been a huge point of conversation. Um, and so uh, removing some of the barriers that we used to have be- because things were working the way they were has enabled these organizations and has enabled organizations like ours to apply more pressure uh, on uh, those established um, uh, entities, you know, that get, get to make these type of decisions. Because there was never time or there was never a priority level for these changes to happen. Change is difficult, as you, as you mentioned, uh, but it also presents us with an opportunity to um, uh, reinvent the way things were. So things like um, 
you know, for example, at the height of, of the Black Lives Matter movement back in the summer, we managed, um, and by we, I'm referring to, you know, many of my colleagues who did such an incredible job um, applying that sort of pressure, both internally within their own organizations as well as externally within the wider music industry. And uh, I believe Sony Music in the UK this week or, or last week um, just announced, um, you know, where that, those funds that they promised a few months ago, where exactly are they going to go? And it looks like they're going to grassroots organizations, which is kind of closing loop on what Karen started with as well. The idea that those funds typically tend to go to the same people who have the access who have the the know-how in terms of um, how to apply for them. Now the gates are a lot more open. The information is spreading in a much more horizontal way. And hopefully this means that in the long run, you know, five years, 10 years from now, we're really going to see a huge change because of um, the building blocks that we, we really established in 2020 as a result of the pandemic. Dio, you want to throw some thoughts on that? Yeah, I've just been enjoying listening. So um, um, to add on to that, I, I think it's really interesting how the pandemic hit at the same time as the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd and everything happened because they really crisscrossed and they really intersected. And I look at things from a different lens coming from Canada. In Canada, for artists, for labels, even major labels, but especially independent, especially directly to the artist, a lot of our funding comes directly from grants, from a federal level, from a provincial level, from a local level. And that's what artists depend on. And, and I've been known as Grantmaster Flash over the years in helping artists to uh, access that money. You know, I've helped over 500, well, received over 500 grants for over 100 artists. And um, what I found was interesting is these organizations had their budgets, and all of a sudden, they didn't know what to do with them because a lot of their funding goes to touring, to help tour support and to do export. So, for instance, if an artist has a showcase in, in Amsterdam at a music conference at Amsterdam Dance Event, they will help subsidize that. And all of a sudden that ended. But with that said, they had those budgets. They still have those budgets. They want to create more business around the world and I think it's really forced artists to pivot. And, you know, this wall was empty two months ago. It was just a wall. And then I said, I got to start doing shows. And so over the last few months, I've done over 90 performances just from here and putting up things. And I think that's what artists have to do right now. I think that artists need to invest in their live space, invest in their live performance. It was great when the pandemic hit and more artists were doing Facebook lives, but they have to realize that they can monetize this in Canada through SOCAN, our equivalent to ASCAP and BMI. As long as you have a hundred people total watching your show, doesn't have to be from start to finish. You will get paid for it. You can get paid $200 for that performance. And I think that's a great thing because while we're coming out of this pandemic, we're still in it. And while we'd like to see it end in the summer, we don't know. And the last thing I'll say is I'm really concerned about live music venues. Last week, I took a trip downtown Toronto. We're currently on lockdown, so we're not really going out anywhere, but you can go out to exercise. And it was just really disappointed to see legendary venues with for sale signs in the window. And the longer this continues, 
the more that will happen. So I think it's important for people that do have agency to continue to lobby, to continue to set things up, to continue even we're going into concert venues here in Toronto, putting on concerts, live concerts, but streaming them. But at least that's giving a little bit of something to the venues, because when we get back, we need that live music venues to be there. We need artists performing and we need to encourage people to go out and support because artists are hurting when they're not making money off of streams, really. And we need to really come back with live music. I'm always listening for kind of code under the hood. So, um, you know, legend, legendary venues also might mean not diversely owned venues. Uh, could we be heading into an environment where we've got new venue owners, operators, festival owners who are not necessarily from traditional power structures? Um because we're beginning to see that in some communities. Are you guys seeing additional ownership of assets and structure? Or are you seeing more concentrations? I, I think um, right now it's still a little too early for us to, you know, determine what I do think we're seeing is ownership of innovation, as Dio was speaking to, right? And that artists and creators are taking their innovation back into their hands. And you know, like I can do my show here. And I think what is really going to happen and what's going to happen on the other side is that the live shows now will have a virtual access that didn't exist before, which will create a new revenue stream. Right. And so I don't think that we'll ever go back to the barrier of only the individuals who can make it into the room can participate in this. I think that experience will be one price point in one level for the artists because the artists need obviously that energy from the to really perform. And so I would never want to deny that from, you know, deny that to an artist. But I also think that this has opened up our eyes to how we can expand shows and venues. And now, and, and as I think about my programming and my live events, when we open up after September, according to the latest reports, I'm thinking about live events with virtual access because now for a year I've had all of these fans and members who can come to any of the events and I've been begging them for a year, come to my event, come to my event. And now all of a sudden I'm going to pivot back to, uh, only if you have an invite, which again, doesn't, you know, which is from a DEI standpoint is leading exclusivity, inclusivity with exclusivity, which I always try not to do. Uh, asking specifically in the fact that in Zimbabwe, there's not the grant structure. Is it that we're kind of dependent on the grant structures of our geography and the support perspectives? Or is there anything happening kind of cross-border, cross-structural, where people have of support for their art? Anybody have any? Uh, Andrea, you're very international in your approach. Are you finding that there's any ways people can find support for having new voices cross-culturally? The short answer to that question is no. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the grant system is something that's um, actually unique to few countries like Canada, some EU countries in Germany, you know, France and so on. Um, but a majority of artists and creatives out there don't really have this grant support system that they can rely on. And so what this presents us is an opportunity to flip this challenge um, on its side and put it put it back into the commercial space um, because they're you know tr traditionally artists have been supported in the past by through all sorts of different avenues in, in particular brand 
sponsorships and uh, partnerships. And those have been traditionally exclu- you know, exclusive to more established artists. And I feel like over the last few years, and again, something, a trend that's been accelerated by the pandemic and this heightened focus on you know, social impact and just positive impact in general has um, forced brands commercial brands out there to put their money you know where where their mouth is at and invest in up-and-coming artists or invest in raw talent as opposed to going to the same you know um established names as 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 usual so there's a huge change happening um and and i say that too because half half of my experience is kind of in this advertising brand partnership space and i've you know, traditionally having those conversations with ads, ads people and CMOs and, you know, people who hold those kind of budgets has been almost cringe. And we've seen brands, you know, mess up uh, over and over uh, in terms of, you know, um, launching advertising campaigns that pretend to contribute positively when in fact they're not and that's there's been a huge change in that space and I think it's absolutely necessary for uh, creatives but also executives um, on the front lines to get access to that type of knowledge in terms of working directly with brands and figuring out way of ways of generating revenue um, from that commercial space that was exclusive, you know, to uh, the the more established sort of part of the music business in in the past, and this is also something that Ryan mentioned before we went live. Uh, the fact that touring went away and revenues from streaming went up doesn't necessarily mean that. In fact, it means that artists and music creators in general. Um, they haven't been making, you know, a large portion of their revenue has gone away. The increase in street, the pockets of music creators, it probably went in the pockets of publishers and labels and whoever those creators have contracts with. Um, and touring was, in fact, the biggest source of income for many of these people. And so removing that from the equation for an entire year, possibly, you know, more in, in many cases, has really meant that this was a big hit. For, for touring musicians, for touring artists. And it provided us with an opportunity now there's increasing pressure on DSPs like Spotify and Apple Music to revisit the way in which um, uh, uh, you know payouts take place. And uh, there's increasing pressure on record labels and how they do their contracts to give more ownership in the hands of the creators and so on. So again, another example of accelerating something that was already bubbling up and the fact that uh, the pandemic has exposed with such, you know, transparency, who are the people who are affected the most that created the opportunity for us to go in and, and change that. And hopefully it will change. And Ryan, I'm assuming that there's a yes and to that. Uh, yes, um, there there is a yes and to that. Um, so, me- so ways that we can think about for DSPs, the artists being better better supported in the economic streams of it i know that's what the recording economy um, i mean yeah that's our big lobby you know and and the and dsps are you know our frenemies i will say that not as, i'll say that as ryan butler and not as a <laughs> director of diversity equity and inclusion at the recording academy but um but I mean, publicly, you can see, I mean, in Washington, D.C., we lobby against the DSPs for the royalty rates that they pay creators. We're the only 
you know, organization out there lobbying on behalf of the creators in Washington. RIAA is lobbying for the labels. The Publishers Association is, lo- is lobbying for the large major publishers, which in a music group, one in the same. Um, and so, you know, we're out here on behalf of the creators. And so for us, um, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, we're always about the best compensation and most fair compensation for, uh, for creators. So Karen, any advice as we wrap up here on what people could do in their communities to be um, more vibrant, to be supporting different voices and all these different means we've been talking about and different economic power structures? Definitely um, be bold, step up. Don't be afraid to, to jump in front of those spaces that you normally haven't been allowed in. Um, one thing that uh, underrepresented groups thrive on is innovation and building something from nothing. And that's something that more established companies and venues especially have no clue how to do. So you have a skill set right now that people need. So use it and and make sure they pay you for it. Dio, a closing thought? Yeah, if you're an artist, always value your work. I look to Kevin Kelly's thousand fans. Don't worry about the the small streaming, but really value your art and um, connect with your fans directly. If you're not an artist, it's all about supporting and getting the music ecosystem going. And if you're part of the music business, in the words of Frederick Douglass, agitate, agitate, agitate. And that is a final closing comment, Storm. Thank you for for having us be with this panel. And thank you guys for joining us. It's been great conversing. Well, thanks for listening to Amplify Music Conversations. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and come back to listen to our other podcast episodes, either following us in your favorite podcast player or at amplifymusic.org or even on YouTube. And you can find a way to sign up for our email list and join our various groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn. We'd like to thank the Institute of International Business at the University of Colorado, Denver, who sponsors this podcast series, as well as the conference sponsors, Mia, UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music, the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, Ben Zugel, Tully, and Lyric Find. We've had great support putting this conference together this year, and we look forward to continuing these conversations with you through this podcast. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites and you can find those in the show notes.